Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Well, here we are, sitting pretty, waiting for the other shoe to drop next week in Parliament when Theresa May will offer up yet another opportunity for herself to be humiliated by all the other MPs. Today, Dominic Grieve is about to extend his own efforts to stay in the European Union when he meets senior French government officials to discuss Article 50 and more referendums. Is there no end to the nonsense these Remainers will get up to? And by the way, Dominic, who gave you the right to go negotiate with the French who have already told us that we're crazy for trying to leave the European Union. Following Mark Carney's assertions yesterday that no deal would be nowhere near as bad as even he thought it would be, it's now the turn of the OECD, uh, i.e. the pro-EU OECD, to warn about what could happen. Let me tell you guys, if you don't know what's going to happen, why don't you just keep your mouth shut, OK? 0344-499-1000. This morning, though, my wrath is aimed elsewhere, and it's the young royals from Kensington Palace. Apparently, Prince William and his wife, Kate, have just discovered that there are parts of this country where poor people live. Entire areas where slum landlords rent ghastly properties to people who can't afford to fix them up and they've been deeply affected. Can you imagine the conversation in the Bentley on the way home? Goodness gracious me, darling. I had no idea that people didn't get given free grace and favour mansions when they were married. I thought that's what happened to everybody. There are places in Blackpool which have got water running down the walls. Have you heard? It's awful. Absolutely disgraceful. Meanwhile, his younger bro- and more dim brother, Prince Harry, thinks he represents the most engaged generation in history. A couple of years ago, this was a guy romping around naked in Las Vegas with a load of strippers. Now, apparently, he says that these people who he is talking to, i.e. the millennials, are more engaged than those who fought for universal suffrage, more engaged than the young men and women who fought in the First and Second World Wars. The snowflakes of Sussex have really outdone themselves here. Today I need lectures on compassion from the sons of a woman worth 400 million quid. I'll let you know they should shut up and stick to opening hospitals and playing polo. Thanks, Your Royal Highnesses, but no thanks. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Now, I've always been relatively supportive of the royal family in this country. I'm by no means a Republican. I think the Queen does a magnificent job. And I by no means, by any stretch of the imagination, do I in some way kind of uh, resent the amount of money that she gets from the civil list. I also had a moment, of course, like we all did, when we felt sorry for Prince William and Prince Harry when their mother died, uh, when they were quite young. And they've had a difficult upbringing purely because of the way that they have been thrust into the public limelight. Now, Prince William has looked as though he is preparing himself to be... Uh, the next king of England. He looks as though he would be probably the good guy to go to while we bypass Prince Charles. He's obviously a bit too batty to be in charge of anything. I would be quite happy for them to have given it to Prince William. But now, I have to say, I have my doubts. After yesterday's appearance at Blackpool, where he suddenly discovered that there are poor people living in this country... And he seemed surprised that there are slum landlords who prey on those poor people living in this country. And he suddenly decided it was a good idea to attack them. Well, I'm sorry, Prince William and Kate. It is not your place to do that. It is not your place to be the beating heart of a generation any more than it is Prince Harry's place to start talking about Martin Luther King and talking of all this new age sort of gibberish uh, to some organisation called the We Movement, which is run by a bloke who's worth about $15 billion from Canada. It's absolutely unbelievable. They are rich, they are privileged, they are not people that we need to be taking lessons in from uh, austerity, compassion, or anything else, to be quite frank. Let's talk to Emily Andrews, who's the Sun's royal correspondent. Uh, She was with the royal family yesterday, or members of it. Let's find out what she makes of it all. Emily, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. Thanks very much. I'm I'm very well. I'm very well, but I mean, you see, I'm happy when I'm ranting, Emily. It's my default position. I feel good about ranting. And listen, I'm a great believer in the royal family. I've been a great supporter of the royal family. But today, the stuff I'm reading in the papers is sending me over the edge, I'm afraid. Well, I think, was it, um, is it, um, I hope it's fine for me to say, calm down, dear. Don't worry, Mike. Listen, I was with Prince William (laughs) yesterday, and actually, I thought it was a really good thing that he did. I, myself, have been very quick to criticise the junior royals. I mean, a couple of years ago, I called Will's work shy because I didn't think he was doing enough work. He wasn't taking on royal responsibilities, wasn't doing enough royal duties when he was working for the East Anglia Ambulance up in Norfolk. But actually... He moved down to London, became a full-time royal 18 months ago. And what we're seeing here is, as you rightly said, it's in preparing to be, you know, Prince of Wales. Once we have regime change, you know, the Queen very sadly will die, obviously. Prince Charles will become king. And actually, the whole point that we're talking about slum landlords, we're actually talking about the awful conditions. And I saw them yesterday of some that some people have to live in, particularly in the northwest of England. The only reason we're talking about them in kind of, you know, London-centric, you know, <clears throat> Areas which are the southeast, you know, traditionally much more affluent than they, these areas up in the northwest and northeast, is precisely because William and Kate went to see them. And I know because I spoke. To well, you might say that, Emily, William. but I mean, there's lots of other people in this world who have actually not only lived in slum properties but have had yep. no money at points in their lives. You, know, you don't need to go to the north of Britain to find no, people who haven't got very much money. But, and I know, because I spoke to Courtney yesterday, because I brought up exactly your point. I said it's all very well for, you know, members of the royal family who live in taxpayer-funded palaces right. and don't have to worry about paying the lucky bill on the mortgage like you or I to go and kind of shine a light on these things. And I said, actually, William was really worried about that. He kind of said, Am I, you know, is this a good thing to do? Should I be doing this? Is the, is the positive outweighing the negative? So I think it's something that he's very conscious of as well. But I think genuinely they wanted to shine a light on something that has been underreported in the national press. Now, maybe that's, you know, an issue for, for us all, that it takes a photogenic young royal couple to go there for us to actually report See, that's where I, I don't think you're right, because we're always hearing about austerity. There are always shows on TV about it. There are always people no writing. Pictures, a, there's Mike, always people pictures. writing about it. 
those pictures of Kate and William in that room, in that living room that was just, you know, debris everywhere, water running down the walls, mould, graffiti. You know, kids had been living there as recently as a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. And these places are just disgusting. You know, the Well, do you think, for example, somebody might have suggested to her it might not be a great idea to wear a coat that's worth a thousand quid from Sportsmax? You know, maybe she could have worn something a little cheaper. Yeah, I think that's probably a good point because the optics aren't brilliant, are they? She's wearing, you know, an outfit that costs two grand when you're visiting kind of places like this. And also but the pain, the pained expression they've got on their faces is frankly ridiculous. I mean, it looks like a comedy show. No, to me. actually, I think you're, um, I think you're being unfair there because I think that one of the things that you know. A, a prince, and, a prince of Wales in waiting is that they have to, is that William has to go all around the country seeing how all everybody lives and shining a light on all these kinds of issues. You know, if, if Theresa May had gone up and visited this house, she would have got absolute pelters for it. <laughs> exactly. And so, actually, I think what he's doing, and he's saying, you know, like that the, the council are doing a good thing. He's promoting Blackpool Council. Here. Blackpool Council are paying 40 grand for every house in that road, buy it, do it up rent it sensible prices and make sure and rent control so that slum landlords who were basically renting all these rooms out in these multi-occupation houses and ripping off all these poor people who were living there. They were taking their housing benefit and weren't using the money to repair and make the houses... Come on, Emily. I mean, you've been very generous here because everybody in the world, everybody in this country... Yeah, but everybody knows that that goes on. I mean, the idea that we're suddenly having our eyes opened by two very overprivileged, very wealthy young people who have got everything that they possibly could, could even dream of ever wanting. As somebody just pointed out to me on Twitter, we spent hundreds of thousands of pounds training Prince William to be a helicopter pilot, and now he's given up. But you know, Mike, the fact that these councils, it's, a, it's something that the council is particularly doing in the northwest because it's a real problem up in the northwest. A lot of these councils up in Lancashire um, and in Greater Manchester are doing these kinds of um, schemes. They don't get a huge amount of publicity because positive news doesn't always make the papers. So actually, I think it's really, really good that Prince William and Kate are using that spotlight, shining a light on things that have been that the councils are doing well. And I think, frankly, this is what Prince William should be doing as a Prince of Wales and waiting. Do we really just want him to be kind of sitting around opening hospitals. He does that too, by the way. And I do think he knows that he has a power and he has a power convener and power to, you know, help people and get things done. And I think he's doing a good job. Well, do you know what he's doing a good job of? He's doing a good job of selling Britain overseas because it is true to say that the royal family are much more loved abroad than they are at home. And if he continues with this kind of rubbish, then he will be on the cover of People (laughs) magazine and he'll be on the cover of, you know, No Idea Down in Australia, whatever it's called, you know, and everything will be great. However, back here, uh, people are a bit more uh, circumspect about being preached at by very, very wealthy men and women. For example... William's not preaching. William was not preaching. No, he's not preaching just because he goes and visits somewhere doesn't mean to say he's preaching and actually i think he's very measured in what he said he basically illustrated that because of the because of air travel because air travel got so much so much cheaper and brits like us are going you know where did you go on your holiday mike where did you go on your last holiday i went to california there you go i went to greece we didn't go to any you know northern seaside or welsh resort did we we don't go brits now because air travel so much cheaper well you don't go to blackpool because it's a bit of a dump to be honest i mean his his the idea that william i wish i wish it was cheap i'll tell you what i wish my holiday in california was cheap cost me a fortune but what i wouldn't do is come back and start lecturing people yeah you're lucky enough to afford it yeah exactly but i wouldn't come back and lecture poor people about how terrible their life is he's not lecturing he is well listen to this right here's what here's what he says blackpool has always been one of the uk's most loved seas 
seaside towns. Is he having a laugh? Blackpool has been in decline for the best part of the last 40 years. In the 50s and the 60s, he said. In the 50s and the 60s. He wasn't even alive then. He can still read. He can still read Wikipedia, Mike. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. He's getting it wrong. It is famous for its beaches, its promenade, its iconic venues, and its stunning illuminations. Stunning illuminations. No, no, he's showing himself to be totally out of touch. It's famous for its hen parties. It's famous for its stag parties. The hookers on the promenade and the terrible, terrible weather. That's what he's famous for. And don't go down on the beach at night because you might find some things down there you'd rather not see. And actually, well, he was talking in particular about the 50s and 60s, and actually, I think what it would have been helpful had he said, or I don't know, you might not have liked this either, is that actually he was in Blackpool two years ago on New Year's Eve trying to rescue two people who had were drowning, basically, in the sea. They got absolutely pissed out of their faces on New Year's Eve, and he was part of the air ambulance crew. I mean, I only know this... Well, I'd rather he said that, because that's at least his own experience. This kind of rubbish that's being fed to him by some PR is a nonsense. No, I think it's good that he is... Trying to put in context why this problem. I mean, did you know about this problem before you read about it in the paper today? Which because problem? I didn't. Which did you problem? Know, did you about this problem about slum housing that B and Bs that were used in the fifties and the sixties in seaside towns like Blackpool that you know people like my grandparents and my parents yeah. have gone and had a like, right old lovely time at those B and Bs and now because of the change in UK holidays they fell into disrepair. Yeah. T- yes, well I'll tell you. I'll tell you straight answer that. Emily, yes, I did know about it. I'll tell you why I knew about it because I have a very rounded view of the world and I know about stuff that goes on and it's happened in Hastings as well. You didn't have to go as far. You could have just got on the train and come down an hour south to Hastings where you'd find exactly the same thing. And I'll tell you and I'll tell you what else has happened. The reason that people have now moved into those towns and who live there and ruin those towns is because they get invited to come by the local councils who can't uh, afford to run the town. So what they do is they get a load of unemployed people to come and occupy those properties and then the central government pays their council tax. Way, uh, hey presto, suddenly the town makes money again. See, you could have got it all from me. You wouldn't have had to go to Blackpool. (laughs) I could have just gone to hate And I, my day. coat does not cost 900 quid either. Now, let me get to the other problem I've got, and that is with old snowflake Sussex, Prince Harry. Right, Him and his lovely wife, Meghan Markle, are quickly turning into uh, you know, the royal virtue signalers from hell. I didn't think I didn't think that speech that he gave yesterday was particularly well written or particularly well advised. No. I think we have to remember that he was speaking to a room full of kids. And, you know, but I mean, it was all a bit random because he was sharing a platform with social influencers. There he is kind of saying that social media and mainstream media are all we're all evil and we, you know, will promulgate lies when he's just sharing a platform and a stage with people who are social media stars. You can't have it both ways. And frankly, he's also also telling us to protect wildlife. I mean, has he seen what goes on (laughs) up on the grouse moors of Scotland? Well, he, exactly. He shoots most of them. Yeah. I mean, he—we he, all know that the royal family love to, you know, have a, a pheasant shoot. They well, uh, like a good grouse neither, beating, don't they? Yeah, and neither William or Harry have given up shooting despite their vows to protect right. wildlife and the illegal wildlife trade. I mean, I think William has been slightly clever in the way he has handled that because he's gone and you know he's made looked at more political angles and said you know things like ivory and things like that, which I don't think anyone can justify shooting elephants. But I agree with you. It makes them look hypocritical. But listen, I, I got no problem. I, do, what, do what I say, not do what I do. I, li- I liked him more when he was want, you know, wandering around stark naked in a hotel room with a load of, with a load of strippers <laughs> in Las Vegas. I, think I mean, we, I liked I think him better did. then. 
I think we all did, Mike. Yeah, no, exactly. Now, well, and I don't really care. I'm not one of those that was, will be critical of Meghan Markle uh, for driving around and driving in, in Bentleys and Range Rovers and getting on private jets. That's her lifestyle. But don't start telling us how we should be living. I mean, that is a massive, massive bad move. Well, I think, so Harry, I, I think you have to remember that, as I said, he's talking to kids, but I think that he needs to remember that when he made, he's made these speeches before at Wee Day in Toronto a couple of years ago and yeah. indeed in London. But the language that he used, I just thought, came across as quite juvenile. Yeah. You know, like, be brave, be stronger. Yeah, you it's know, rubbish. Care about every blade of grass, care about every sort of water. And also the idea and, that he, he makes yeah. out that this is the most engaged generation in history. Well, that comes as uh, good news to those people who died in the Second World War, flying Spitfires at the age of 22, uh, and also those women who, who chained themselves to fences to get universal suffrage for all women. You know, proper feminists, not women like Meghan Markle who left their job and gave up as soon as they married a prince? Well, I think for Meghan, it must be a bit of a difficult conundrum for her because essentially she's achieved her position through marrying a man, yeah. which of course, whichever, and I, you know, I'm a feminist too, I would like to say that I've got my position through damn hard work exactly. rather than, you know... It's not what I've heard. Any... No, sorry, that's not, <laughs> it would be wrong for me to say that. Careful, Mike, <laughs> careful. No, but here's um, the thing, if you got married, even if it was to a prince, you wouldn't give up your job, would you? No, I personally wouldn't. But it, it's, I mean, when, you, when you're marrying into the royal family, it's a completely different set of rules. And it is a very still, despite the carapace of the younger royal yeah. trying to make it more relevant and make it more, make them, make it more approachable. It is still this very arcane, weird family where, where you're born in the pecking order basically determines your funding, you know, and where you're, what, what you, what, what job you're going to do. Are you going to be the top, are you going to be top dog? Are you going to be the monarch or not? I think for Harry, I think because he he has he actually actually after he after those infamous pictures of him in the Las Vegas hotel room and you know cavorting with strippers and naked and swinging swimming pools and all that kind of thing, too much uh, too much army and not enough prince. I think he famously said mm. he actually did a you know the Invictus Games. I don't think anyone could criticise him for that. This amazing sports competition for those people in the military who've been injured copying really the warrior games from the US. I mean, that's become kind of a worldwide movement. And I've that's great. But countries. that's fine. But, the, but you know, I, the problem I, is... I he's... do agree. I think he has to be careful. I think he has to be careful because the optics... He's married an actress who, quite understandably, has a lot of very famous friends. And so she's not some, you know, country girl from the Shires or she's not some unknown, frankly, from Australia or, or wherever... So I think he does does have to be quite careful of the optics of how things look, and he doesn't want to turn himself into some celebrity, which people might tire of in. Five well, he time. needs to stop hobnobbing with the likes of Craig Kielberger, who's the guy that runs this me uh, or we charity, right? Who happens to be uh, have a net worth of two point eight billion dollars, one of the richest people in Canada. You know, bizarrely, he runs a charity, isn't that amazing? And maybe uh, they want to spend less than two hundred twenty thousand on their wedding, and maybe then we might take some notice. Of of what they have to say about compassion and about how to live. But listen, Emily, I appreciate you standing up for them uh, and you will no doubt be rewarded uh, in, in years to come uh, by being invited to attend some Buckingham Palace garden party. But thank you very much. I'm no friend of theirs. <laughs> Emily Andrews there, the Sun's Royal Correspondent. I'm sure uh, they wouldn't want her around because they don't like the press. No, they don't mind the press, uh, you know, sort of facilitating their um, images. They don't mind the press facilitating their parties. They don't mind the press taking pictures of them going into very, very wealthy parties and weddings. But I'm afraid both William and Harry this morning are showing themselves up to be complete and other first-class plonkers. <laughs>
Independent Republican Mike Graham, you know what to do. 03444991000. We've had a fascinating show thus far, uh, talking about the royal family and why they need to be very careful about the kind of virtue signalling uh, that Harry and Meghan have been getting up to, uh, and also William and Kate going up to Blackpool and discovering poor people. It really is not a particularly good look. But talking about money and craziness and stupid amounts of uh, money that people are charging for things in this day and age, and we've all heard about the very expensive vodka that you can get, the very expensive liqueurs that you can buy in a cocktail bar. Uh, we're going to talk now to Harry Wallop, who's a consumer journalist, who's written a great piece in the Daily Mail today about how he paid £15 for a cup of coffee in King's Cross. Harry, what is going on? Well, very good question. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was bought from a cafe on the site of one of the most run-down bits of London not that long ago, but now a very fancy shopping and dining and cultural uh, experience is how they describe well, it. Well, dare I say King's Cross has now become, with the advent of people like The Guardian moving in there, a sort of a media city, hasn't it? A mini-media city. Uh, yes, and uh, Google are about to move major offices there too. I mean, it, it, gosh, it's a very pleasant place. It's, it's been a, a very successful transformation. Yeah, it really has. But I mean, yeah, I think I think going yeah, going for fifteen pound cups of coffee may have been taking it slightly too far. Uh, well, indeedy. Uh, I mean, this okay. So first of all, um, in it comes from a cafe uh, run by a celebrity chef uh, called Alain Ducat, mm. uh, who is a sort of sun god in France. He is the most decorated Michelin star chef in the world. He's got twenty Michelin stars. Uh, to his name, and at this restaurant in Paris, you know, a starter costs eighty-nine euros. Do you know? I heard this um, because I have to conf- I confess I wasn't here yesterday. And at one point, I found myself listening to another radio station, and they were talking about it. Eighty-nine euros for a starter. I mean, I I like my uh, my food. I I don't mind going to the odd expensive restaurant, but even for me, that's a bit over the top. Yeah, I mean, uh, but this is the thing. He, he is in a different universe. So for him, fifteen. Uh, pounds for a cup of coffee is is very reasonable. Uh, that's what you pay uh, for high-end gourmet coffee. Mm. And we ought to, I ought to be fair and say at this cafe, uh, so the Alain Ducasse Cafe at Cold Drops Yard, you can buy, if you want, an espresso for £2.50. That's the very cheapest thing on the menu. Okay. And, a fil- and a filter coffee is £3.50. Uh, a cappuccino is £5. So these are sort of double the usual price at a normal cafe. Or, or if you go to McDonald's, where the coffee's actually really not terrible, it's about three times the price of a McDonald's coffee. <laughs> and did you, have, um, did you actually have one? And, and I, I see in the, in, the, in the mail today you're holding what looks like a sort of a glass mug. Is that what they serve it in? Yes, there's a lot of ceremony. So yes, I did. I had a £15 Yemeni. So it comes from Yemen, which is obviously in the middle of a, quite a serious war. So that's one of the reasons the coffee's expensive. You've got to get the coffee out of Yemen. Uh, and it's very rare. There's not much of it. So, I mean, in simple supply and demand terms, you know, it's going to cost more than a bog standard Brazilian. Uh, yes, there's a lot of ceremony and special kit and pouring. And it's still for coffee. Hey, it's still for coffee. It's the sort of process of making coffee you get in offices around the world. You drip the hot water through the coffee beans. Yeah. And then it's served in this kind of flask, glass flask to keep it warm. And then a special glass mug. You're meant to let the flavours develop so you can get all the different aromas of honeysuckle and milk chocolate and what have you. Um, and are you, yeah. supposed to, uh, are you supposed to not put anything in it? You know, like if you're paying that much for the coffee, presumably you can't pollute it with milk or sugar or anything like that. Well, actually, they're quite relaxed about that. You can have a Reunion Island special 
sugar cubes in little discs. Because, hey, a cube is very passé. It came in little discs. <laughs> and they didn't, if you want to have milk, they, to give them credit, they didn't throw up their hands in horror. I had it, I had it naked. I had it black. Yeah. Um, and it was actually quite brown rather than black. It's quite a, a light roast. And it was quite tasty. Mm. I mean, it was very different. It was a very different from a normal filter coffee. I mean, I, I could even go as far as saying it was delicious. But it's just not £15. Pounds no, exactly yeah. right. It's a bit like, I mean, you know, I don't drink a great deal of coffee. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of the slave, of course, because I'm a commuter to the, to the probably uh, the, the, capu- the frothy milk cappuccino, which has about got as much coffee in it as, uh, as a glass of water. Um, but I'm not really an aficionado of coffee. So whenever I have proper filtered coffee, which I do have a cafetiere at home, it tastes to me like £15 coffee because I'm used to drinking rubbish coffee and, and instant coffee and all that. So any kind of sort of, you know, coffee bean ground coffee actually tastes great. But I mean, I'm assuming if you had £15 worth of coffee in your mug, you would need milk that was kind of gently massaged out of a goat or something at a thousand, <laughs> uh, a thousand feet above uh, above sea level or something, you know? Uh, well, yeah, I'm sure Yemeni uh, goats would do, do the job just as well. I No, I think they were serving bog-standard British... Well, I, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't have the milk, so I don't know what the milk was. Mm. Uh, but I was told that the coffee had been brewed at 91 degrees uh, centigrade. They had quite fancy kettles that were attached to these electronic pads oh, yeah. to see exactly what pressure and what temperature the water was because mm. you don't want to scald the coffee. Never use boiling water. Well, I suppose so. What about the kind of the atmosphere in this place? Was it full of, you know, very er- earnest looking young men and women staring at them, uh, staring at their iPads or what was it, what was going on? Well, it's tiny. I mean, it was about the same size, maybe fractionally bigger than my bathroom. I mean, it had 10 skinny, uh, Right. rather uncomfortable stools around a counter, and that was it. So it wasn't somewhere... I mean, this is this is my problem. If I had that sort of money to spend on a coffee, and I wanted... And I admit that a lot of it is the experience. I'd spend it on going to carriages, where for £7 I could have a cappuccino, and I could sit in a lovely, comfortable armchair. Yeah. I'd get the newspapers. I'd get a free biscuit, I'm sure. Right. I'd watch the A-listers, the A-listers of the world go by. And nobody yeah. would, would frown at you for pulling out a copy of the Daily Mail, either. No. No, here it was very well. It, it was full of, actually, coffee fans who travelled quite far to try this coffee. Yeah. I actually, there was an editor of a coffee magazine called Caffeine <laughs> uh, who had popped in, and he thought that £15 was, quote, very, very reasonable. Uh, because it was, you know, hey, some of the, Yem- the Yemeni farmers get a bit of a profit share from the coffee. It's very rare. It's very special. And, and, and for him, it was wonderful. And it was, you know, he would much prefer to spend £15 having Yemeni coffee in this small, cramped, trendy cafe than uh, in Starbucks. And, I, you know, hey, I appreciate it. It was definitely a nicer experience than Starbucks. The staff were charming, uh, and, and indeed they were knowledgeable. But it was kind of fun, but it wasn't relaxing, and it you know it wasn't luxurious. No, I'm 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 not buying it at all. But listen, Harry, thank you very much indeed for bringing this to the world's attention because it had to be done. Harry Wallop, consumer journalist, there uh, with the fifteen pound coffee uh, from King's Cross. Unbelievable! The world has officially gone crazy, hasn't it? This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. 
Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we have asked Sadiq Khan's office repeatedly uh, whether he will come on this show. We haven't asked him today uh, because we know what the answer is going to be. It'll be like it is every other time we ask him, which is no, because he's too busy working for another radio station where he goes on another radio show at this time of the day where they give him a very easy time and everybody agrees with everything he says. He doesn't want to come on this show uh, because he doesn't like being asked questions that he doesn't like to answer because I would give him a very hard time indeed. Let's talk to Susan Hall, Conservative member of the London Assembly, because there's been a 27% increase in the number of posts since uh, Mr Khan took office, rising from 897 full-time equivalent roles in 2016 to 1,140. And it's not particularly good news for those of us who like to have democracy in action because it's all about uh, making sure there's enough people to do his PR for him and it's all about making sure there's enough people to launch a clean air initiative, which seemingly he thinks is killing more people than knives are in this country, which is ludicrous. Susan Hall, uh, who is Conservative Member for London Assembly, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us, Susan. I mean, Sadiq Khan, uh, even with the best will in the world, could be described as a bit of an opportunist politically, couldn't he? <laughs> well, you can say that. I probably have as well, though, <laughs> to be fair. And he's in the middle of a love-in with James O'Brien. I, I we try not to have that it. name mentioned on this show. Uh, no, well, yes, and I'd approve of that because drives me mad. He won't, he won't go on to Nick Ferrari either, no. because he'd, he'd give him a hard time, but I think you'd give him the hardest. I think I would, yeah, but I mean one day, <laughs> one day maybe we'll get him in, we shall see. Um, but what is this about? Um, he seems to have been more than profligate with taxpayers' money. I mean, is there no kind of a way of stopping this man from spending our money? Because it seems he can do whatever he likes. Well, this is the way the whole thing has been set up. Unfortunately, the only thing you can really do it, other than expose all of these things which we're spending our entire time trying to do Mm. is to not put his budget through. Unfortunately, his budget went through last Monday. The Conservatives found £83 million worth of savings, um, which would have given us just under 1,400 extra police on the streets in London, which we we appreciate, we need. Um, And uh, unfortunately, uh, it was not voted through by the Labour Assembly members. So his budget stood, which... You've been sent the figures. It's just disgraceful. Mm. At the moment, the only thing we all want is to feel safe. Well, exactly. Um, and the wage bill, right, in, in his own office, rose from £3.8 million in 2016 to £6 million last year. 66 people based there in September instead of 48 in March 2016. Why does he need all these people in his office? Well, <laughs> this is a question often put to him, and he raises his eyes and, you know, 
is rude back. He, everything that goes wrong, he blames the government. He's surrounding himself by more and more people, all paid for by the taxpayer. Um, and really, if you ask people in the, in the streets who have got no political bias at all, the one thing they'd say to you is, I want to feel safe. Mm. Um, you know, and he should know this, but instead of that, he surrounds himself by more and more people to um, deflect anything coming towards him. Anything, as I say, anything goes wrong is clearly the government's fault, and, and so he says all the time. No, indeed. He has, he has a budget of over £18 billion. Pounds. Uh, he could easily dip into that. We've shown him how to put more officers on the street. Yeah. And, I mean, there's no political reason why that can't happen. I mean, obviously, we know the Home Office and the police are intrinsically linked, and Theresa May is quite rightly being blamed for cutting back on the police force, even though she says it doesn't seem to have had any effect. You know, I think she's wrong about that, because I'm not one of those uh, ideologues who doesn't criticise Tories when they do something wrong. However, yeah. um, you know, there's nothing to stop him, in, you know, constitutionally from putting more police on the street, is there? absolutely not and and i i appreciate then the, the met needs more police which is why our whole um budget amendment was around putting more police on the streets because i mean we're all londoners we can see that there's an issue and to start with we need more police i think theresa may was saying it's not the only thing that will make a difference and she, in that that she is right. There's I think no, I agree with that, and I said that the other day when we were talking about it. It's very clearly a much more complicated situation than yes. just putting more police back on the street, isn't it? Yes, yes, mm. it is. But equally, I think more police on the streets would um, assist greatly, just to, uh, you know, as a confidence measure, if nothing else. Sure. I mean, obviously, we've had another murder in the last twenty-four hours over in East London last night. Um, I mean, what do you think could be done and should be done? Obviously, we're all going to be in favour of more police on the streets. But what else do you think we could be doing? Well, uh, it is so complex. One of, one of the things that I, I personally believe is that we should have stricter sentencing. Um, if we need to build more prisons, then this is a personal view. It's not a necessarily a Tory view, um, because if people see, like yesterday, I think it was, somebody was caught with a knife um, and drugs and was just let off. If if people think, well, if I take a knife on, you know, with me out, does it make much difference? Will I get caught, etc.? Yeah. Um, they're more likely to do that. I, if you look at the figures of um, domestic abuse, but of children attacking parents, yeah. it's gone up substantially. And I think it's all down to a breakdown in uh, discipline right the way through. Teachers can't discipline properly anymore. Parents you know, don't discipline properly anymore. I mean, the one thing that's never brought into conversations, or very rarely, is the parents' responsibility. Um, well, exactly parents... right. I mean, I think quite a few people have started to say in the last few days, you know, it's not actually the fault of the police that young men and women are plunging knives into each other. It's not necessarily uh, the fault of society that they're doing it. You know, it's their fault. Absolutely. And we need to be saying that. There's always, oh, well, there's always a reason people do this and that. It's, you've got to be responsible for your own actions. And that's not said anymore. Excuses are always given for bad behaviour. It's absolutely not the police's fault. The police are there to deal with things as they go wrong. Yeah. We need to put prevention measures in to make life easier for the police. Exactly. In the meantime, we've got to get more police out there. And all Cohen is doing is spending more and more money on his PR spin doctors. Well, his PR spin doctors and also this ludicrous clean air campaign where he's kind of charged, you know, ordinary members of the public who might have a battered old diesel van to make their living in a hundred quid a day to drive into London. Oh, that, that is shocking. Yeah. And then if you look at the black taxi trade, they're all being told they've got to have electric vehicles. There's 11 charging points 
in London, yeah. in central London. 11. So they, they drive in and they pay over 60k for a, a, a brand new electric vehicle. Right. They then have to run it on petrol. So it's a whole nonsense. It's virtue signaling the whole time from Mayor Khan. He's just dreadful, to be honest with you. Just dreadful. When are we going to get a chance to kick him out, by the way? When's the next election? Next May. Right, okay. Next May, and I really hope he is kicked out because (laughs) you've just got to look at the money he's wasting, taxpayers' money. You've just got to look at he doesn't take responsibility for anything. He'll blame anybody else for everything else. Um, he, if he has confidence in what he does, he should come and talk to you. Well, of course he say, should. You know, and stand up for what he believes in and what he thinks he's doing right. There's three he's, kinds he's, of politicians in my experience of life, Susan. There's people like yourself who will come on here and be more than happy to have a conversation where we may or may not agree on everything and we may have a very robust argument about something, right? And then we'll go away uh, and people will enjoy it and they'll think about it and they can pick a side. There's the other kind who will agree to come on and then uh, get all uppity when I criticise them and then block me on Twitter. There's a lot of people in the Labour Party that do that. And then there's those who don't come on at all, who are absolutely not only non-democratic, but they're not actually fulfilling the mandate for which I have elected them to do and which I pay them to do, and I think it's a disgrace. Well, that's right. If you're the mayor, you're not always going to get everything right. Let's face it, we're all human beings. We don't always get things right. Uh, But if you don't, you have to come on, you have to take it on the chin and you have to own up to the fact, I got that wrong, but this is how I'm fixing it. Exactly. And, you know, you should have confidence in what you do and what you believe in. Mm. Even if you're talking to people that have completely the opposite... Actually, I like doing that because then you can test out your own of course. with somebody and have a proper debate. Listen, if I haven't I won at least one person a day over to my way of thinking, I've failed in my uh, my mission in life, you know, <laughs> which doesn't mean that I'm always right. But also, I will, I will occasionally change my view if I'm persuaded by somebody that I'm wrong. Perfectly Absolutely reasonable. right. You've got to have an open mind because mm. we're not all right all the time. But on this constant getting more staff into City Hall the whole time, these deflecting the issue of this, this terrible crime wave that we're going through, he's simply not good enough. He, he's the mayor. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the most... I think it's the most powerful politician in the country, to be honest, because he hasn't got a cabinet that could get rid of him, etc. He doesn't have to get approval from a cabinet, as a prime minister does. Um, But, you know... With that comes a lot of responsibility, and that's a bit he's not very good at. Now, I'm going to give you a very high high compliment here. We have a lot of people listening to this show who have got an awful lot of common sense, and Steve has sent me this. Mike, who is this lady you're talking to? She can't be a politician. She's talking sense. You may, you may have to become a regular on the show, Susan, for heaven's sake. Now, let's I'd just love to become a regular. Let's, let's, and we'll find things we don't agree on. But of course, we'll Let, debate properly. Now, let's finish up. We were talking in the first hour about the royal family. I'm not going to try and get into trouble here. However, um, we were talking about you know kids and their responsibility and their lack of fear of the older generation of their parents of police and all that. What do you make of Prince Harry saying this, right? You may find yourself, he said this to a group of kids yesterday, you may find yourselves frustrated with the older generation when it seems like they don't care. But try to remember that not everyone sees the world the way you do, but that doesn't mean they don't care. I mean, it's almost like he's going, oh, well, you know, we know, we all know the old people are a bit daft, a bit stupid, but just kind of bear with them. Don't be too horrible to them. I mean, no wonder they're all thinking that the sun shines out their backside. You know what I mean? Well, uh, listen, I'm getting older. So I'm Aren't we all? <laughs> so I, I would say to the younger generation, absolutely give me respect, although because we have to earn it. Um, I hadn't heard those comments, so um, I'd have to think about that. But I mean, and I'm a massive royalist, but sometimes the royals should know when to keep their mouths shut. The Queen is unbelievable. Yeah. She always has done. She's always kept her own counsel and 
just, you know, and that's why I think she's done so well. And yeah. um, Harry has always been the one to say more controversial things. But again, you know, it. Yeah, but you know they need to, they need to be very careful. All these people, you know, there's a reason why wisdom is is granted to the old, not the young. But that's another story. Listen, Susan, thanks very much for joining us. We've got to run. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Uh, Sadiq Khan, can you imagine sixty two million quid on staff while the police apparently don't have any money? This is Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and of course, uh, we're here until one. Matthew Wright will be here very shortly. Going back to the phones in a second. Rick says, if someone tried charging me 15 quid for a cup of coffee, I'd want them arrested. <laughs> and Steve says, if you could have Michelin stars as many as he likes coming out of his backside, but I'm not paying 15 pounds uh, for a coffee. Uh, and of course, there's one uh, tweet I've got here from someone who said actually paid more money uh, than that for a car. Uh, or less money than that for a car, by the way. Let's talk to Simon, uh, who's in Bolton. Hello, Simon. Wants to talk about the border issue. Hey, uh, Mike, I um, I tweeted you um, the smart border thing on Twitter a while back, and I know you got it because you said you'd have a look. I don't yes. know you have, but, but the thing is... Is that like, that very long paper that you sent me? It was, mate, yeah. Yeah, yeah I haven't... I mean, I've, I've skimmed it. I couldn't... I, I didn't have time to read the whole thing. It's about 48 pages, mate. Yeah, but it's... Uh, it, I mean, that's that's come from the EU. But the thing... The thing there's a couple of points, Mike, please, yeah. if I might. Go on. Is, a certain individual on a certain other rival radio station mm. has basically called me a gammon. I don't know what I did. Do voted for this. That's such a useless word, though, isn't it? I don't know why people use it. It means nothing. And he's, he's done an interview with uh, his, his his friend, uh, Mr. Khan, this oh, yeah. morning, and not and not once it's like the videos there. Not once challenged him on this money right. he spent or nothing. The guy won't go on speak to Nick Ferrari, and he certainly wouldn't come and dare speak to you. No. I suggest, and to quote something you said, which I still laugh about, why doesn't he go and make some stone-baked pizza in the African veldt? He might be better off doing that than <laughs> being the mayor. Yeah, well, indeed. I don't remember saying that, but if you say so... You did, but... you did when you and uh, uh, Porky were doing your show. Oh, okay. he asked, uh, when he was on about Gibbons and uh, what's it and all, all that. Right. Like it. Okay. Uh, but the thing is, Mike, I served in Ireland in the 70s. I yeah. served in Londonderry and Belfast and Strabane. Now... As soldiers, we used to go out with the RUC on patrols. Mm. Right. Now, the police were there, obviously, to do the police work. We were there just to back up. Now, why don't the our police, if they're having issues where they're short of, of, of staff, etc., use the military to guard like places like uh, Downing Street, etc., which they do when there's terrorists out, but also... Why don't they put some soldiers out on patrol with the police? Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons... That's one of the suggestions that's come from government. But I don't think we need to do that necessarily. I think if they are... And and we've all agreed that it's not just a problem for the police here, that other things have to be done. But surely if there are more police out there, it will help, won't it? Well, I, I agree with you, but like you said, me, you've brought something to the fore today, uh, mm. Mike, as regards Mr. Khan. Why doesn't he spend that money instead of ripping people off to travel into London? Yeah. Why doesn't he put that money to some officers instead of constantly blaming the government? Yes, I'm not saying they're innocent of stuff, but hold on a minute, Mike. There has to be some repercussions. No, I agree. And, and we could have had 300 more police on the streets rather than having all the money uh, that he spent on his staff, uh, on his offices and on the various PR plans and, and, and campaigns that he's had going. 
Yeah, well, th- that politician you had on this morning, I think you should get her on regularly because she spoke a lot of sense, Mark. And all I've got to say to you, mate, is please keep up the great work because it's an absolute pleasure. And the only final question is, Mark, are you going to do any more uh, with uh, Mr Parry? Oh, yeah, we do a Friday night show on Talk uh, Sport. We'll be there tomorrow night. All right, I'll have to listen to that. Anyway, we're still there, mate. Don't worry. All the best, Mark. See you Thanks. later, Simon. Thank you. Let's talk to John, who's in Spain. Hi, John. Well, hi, morning to you. Morning. Um, just a little... Just saying that a little bit of grist to your mill, it may well be, as we're getting close to D-Day, you're getting some concentration from the people that affect the people of Germany. And the BDI, which is 100, is much bigger than the CBI, much influential, maybe scaremonger in reverse. They say there's 750,000 jobs in jeopardy. The auto industry say 100,000. But more importantly, and these are a really important group, the IFO. Yeah have come up with saying if we have a hard... But, and I think this is the reason why Carney's changed his mind, because the IFO is very important. They come out and said, if we have a hard but smart Brexit, along with the tariff cuts, it'll only affect the UK economy about a half percent. Mm. Same for France and Germany, but it'll be ten times uh, ten times that for uh, Ireland. Yeah. And so they're hanging, and I think this T-Shock's doing a terrible job. Oh, he and is. They said they should just remove the backstop. So as it's getting closer to home... It's closer to the home of the people of Europe. They're um, they're getting concerned. Well, that's the trouble. I mean, there is no way uh, that the, 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 the European Union can continue to do this kind of we're not talking to you anymore nonsense because they will be more damaged than we will be by any kind of, you know, lack of a deal being done because that's the last thing they want. So they're really just sort well, of playing this game of chicken, I think, which will eventually backfire on them. Well, I think I think now, as I say, Carney was Carney was um, was always out, out crazy the, the the predictions they were making. But I'm, I'm pretty sure Carney's seen the IFO, which is very important in Germany, and he's tempered his um, his negative views down to three percent of it. Right, exactly. And half. Yeah, and the IFO was saying it'll be if it's a smart Brexit, it'll be a half percent, and they definitely say get rid of the backstop. They don't like the fact that really the hair of the tail is wagging the dog. Yeah. And um, and um, I think Ireland's going to have, and I'm an Irish Republican, but Ireland's got a major problem coming up. France itself is, uh, France and Germany are getting together and want to put a 3% tax on online trading. But unfortunately, it is 100% unanimity, which they won't get because straight away Luxembourg and uh, Ireland said no. And because it's, Billions upon billions upon billions of revenue by the corporations paying their mm. tax. And the two facilitators are Republic of Ireland and yeah. half a million well, also, people in Luxembourg. It's what, quite ridiculous. What's becoming, France and Germany have had enough. Yeah, what's becoming very clear as well, John, is how the EU actually operates. We are seeing, because we didn't really pay that much attention to the European Union until all of this stuff started happening. We're now seeing how they operate. And they operate, frankly, like a sort of cartel of gangsters. They do. Unfortunately, the parliamentarians, who I listen to quite often, um, they, they are really pretty good. But it's, it, it, it's the commission which is really... But in some ways, in, in, in a perverse way, the EU is too democratic. Mm. And this is what Germany and France are trying to stop. Because effectively, you have to have unanimity in a lot of these things, where they're trying to get things, particularly in the financial corporations, down to majority voting. And once they get that down, I'm afraid the Republic of Ireland and Luxembourg's finance model is will, will collapse and it'll be very detrimental to both republic and and luxembourg yes no i think you're absolutely right john thanks very much for the call uh susan is in holland on sea in essex hello susan oh hello hello, hello. yeah how you doing um, i'm all right thank you um but um i was 
this um, knife culture yeah. that's happening at the moment, um, I'm wondering um, if they could highlight this more, put more deterrence on television in the adverts, mm. and also um, all parts of our country in the different districts and that, if they could send out, like the government, you know, the council government buildings could send out letters to all, or a, a little booklet or something, to all households asking them, saying, you know, do you know where your young people are at night? And if, they, if they're working different hours, the parents, mm. you know, especially one-parent families and that, you know, do you know who your children are going with? Um, do you notice any of your kitchen, like nice kitchen yeah. utensils going? And also shops and that. I don't know what the rule is. Um, well, it's meant to be. Person. It's meant to be quite difficult to buy knives. I mean, I've been in mm. supermarkets before yeah. trying to buy scissors, right? Yeah. And uh, I wasn't able to do so without showing ID. Now, with the best one in the world, I don't because really? if well, I'm you're an adult, well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean that's the that's the rule. You're not supposed to be able to buy knives or, and it's quite mm. annoying actually in a way. But then I went to um, a sort of hardware store and I wanted to buy an axe. Right? They didn't ask me for ID for the axe. Mm. You know. And also, it's because um, I mean, I do uh, charity jumble sales, okay, and yeah. sales, right? And I always say to the people, uh, we won't have any knives out on the tables or anything, because you just don't know. You don't. I mean, most times everything's, but you you don't know who's coming in, so we don't put that out. Mm. We don't put any knives out. And also, I've noticed at boot sales when you go sometimes, and I've actually said to the people, they've got all these big knives yeah. right on display. I said, you just don't know who's going to buy the them. Is, gonna, but that's the problem, know, Susan. I mean, you, you'll never be able to stop people getting hold of knives in the same way no. you'll never be able to stop them getting hold of scissors. I mean, you can't suddenly go, we're never going to sell knives anymore. Oh, no, I don't mean it like that. I mean that there should be definitely something that's going to make the, the families, the, these children... Uh, sort of think, you know, it's got to be some kind of deterrent and it's got to be, I think, like in the adverts and on the main mm. news because I feel that you you hear about it but then that's it and then there's something else that is if it's not taken very seriously, if you know what I mean. No, you're absolutely right. Something has to be done and it has to be done at all levels and I don't disagree actually, Susan, with your idea of putting out adverts on TV and reaching the mainstream of the people who are affected by this, i.e. the mothers, the fathers, the parents, the families, as well as the kids. And I think uh, you're onto something there, Susan. We'll develop it, I'm sure, over the course of the next few days and weeks because this story ain't going away anytime soon. Sadiq Khan is under pressure. Theresa May is under pressure. Andy Burnham in Manchester is probably under pressure as well. There's an awful lot of people who want something done. And usually when an awful lot of people want something done, it does get done. Just like Brexit, right? Uh, anyway, listen, this has been a pleasure. Uh, a great show. Uh, fantastic contributors. Great tweets. Fantastic calls. Lovely to hear so many of you coming over from that ghastly, evil radio station that we don't mention. Uh, and I'm very happy to continue to... Uh, um, congratulate you for joining us instead of them uh, our numbers are going up uh, their numbers are going down across the uk online and on dab the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 monday to friday on talk radio via dab online or via the talk radio app if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at talk radio during the show to have your say The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.